Sam Watches Star Trek, Monkey Off My Backlog's second weekly podcast where one of us reacts to a TV show that the other has forced us to watch. I'm your host, Tessa, and with me is Sam. Uh, live long and prosper, I guess? You guess? I guess. (laughs) Who knows? It's motion picture time. How does it feel to move from the original series to the films that continued the story of these characters in the late 70s and 80s? I really expected turtlenecks this week. I was sad that we didn't get turtlenecks. I know the turtlenecks are coming. I want to see the turtlenecks. In conclusion, turtlenecks. We are definitely going to talk about the uniform change between the series and this film. Released December 7th in 1979, almost 10 years post the end of the original series. And almost three months after I was born. Baby Sam. Shut up. The film was directed by Robert Weiss, who also directed West Side Story, The Day the Earth Stood Still, The Sound of Music, The Andromeda Strain, and many, many, many other movies. I just realized something in real time. Like, I'm really sad that episode four of the Star Wars trilogy is the only one I wasn't alive for. I was alive for all the Star Trek motion pictures. Every single one. So what's your excuse? I've seen this movie before. We've been over this. Robert Weiss also won Best Editing for Citizen Kane, a fact that I did not know before I did the research for this episode. For somebody who's done that, you'd think they'd let him have a cut of the film. Seriously. The cinematography, which is really important to talking about this film, was by Richard H. Klein, who is best known for his work on Camelot, Soylent Green, and the 1976 King Kong. It's people. So to give a little context for this movie before we dive right in, between the end of the series in 1969 and the beginning of this film series, Paramount sold the syndication rights to TOS in order to get a little bit money of money off of their investment, which so far had not paid off well for them. But in syndication, Star Trek gained a cult following to the point that there was a letter campaign to President Ford to rename the space shuttle from the Constitution to the Enterprise, which is where we get the Enterprise series of space shuttles. This renewed interest in the series caused Paramount to become interested in reviving the series in what they were going to call Star Trek Phase Two, but because Star Wars happened, suddenly everyone was about all of the film franchises instead. We're going to talk about Star Wars a lot, probably, when talking about this film, but to briefly summarize in two sentences, because this film does not have a lot of plot, a massive cloud of energy enters the quadrant on a course to Earth, destroying any organic life in its path. Kirk, now an admiral, must retake command of the Enterprise and gather the old crew and a couple of new faces to investigate the threat and save Earth once again. So before we get into the nitty-gritty of this, what are your first reactions to this film, Sam? Bring me Star Wars, but do 2001 as well. That's a good idea, but make it Star Trek. The first half of the movie reads as very Star Wars to me, and the second half reads as very 2001 A Space Odyssey, so I agree with you there. The first part of the film doesn't really strike me as very Star Wars-y. It strikes me as people trying to do Star Wars, which is fun because this is Star Trek. You know, it does neither very well. 
But the first half of the movie succeeds because we like these characters and we've invested in them. The second half of the movie is really just a direct ripoff of 2001. The colors and the space and the music and the nothing happening for 17 hours. So while we were watching this, our friend, friend of the pod, friend of the Star Trek pod, Elise actually messaged me, but the scene where it's like 272,663 minutes leading up to seeing the ship is really funny to me. That's kind of how I feel about this film. There's a lot of really cool technical work, lots of special effects that are happening in this film, but it takes forever. It's like there's such a long sequence at the beginning where we're just like approaching the Enterprise, approaching the Enterprise. We're going to see the Enterprise. We're going to see the Enterprise from this angle. We're going to see it from this angle. There's a lot of that in this film. This feels weird, too, for I don't know if anybody who worked on the original series worked on the motion picture. This feels like you mentioned that Paramount wanted to make some money off of its investment by doing syndication. I find it weird that they didn't make their $15 back on the sets. So really it's like, okay, so like we built a set using Tinker Toys (laughs) and now we have access to the full complement of the U.S. defense budget. (laughs) I mean, I guess to be fair, if that, if you did, if you, if you had that much access, whereas you had none before, maybe you would make a 17,000 minute cut of, Ships and stuff. I mean, if Kubrick could do it. If Kubrick could do it. You know, if Stanley Kubrick jumped off a cliff, would you do it? (laughs) And would you land into the ocean with a sentient teddy bear? (laughs) I think that's an actual thing from the movie. No, the teddy bear's not sentient. It's the android played by Haley Joel Osment. That's sentient. Maybe. I don't know. And neither does Kubrick, because he died before the movie got made. So the special effects are impressive, but perhaps take up too much screen time? Is that the general feel of this film? So, from what I understand, this film is like the first rough cut of Star Wars. Somebody needed to take what we saw and fix it. Everything goes on too long. Right. And and see, here's the thing. I happen to know that somebody took Wise's cut and fixed it. But they didn't fix it. They broke it. Now, uh, you know, we're recording this having watched the theatrical release when we know good and well that Wise's director's cut is better. At the time that we record this, Paramount Plus is allegedly finishing up a 4K transfer of the director's cut. And we decided that we were okay with watching the theatrical cut and talking about that today because we will provide an update when the director's cut is released, which we will watch. An addendum, if you will. An addendum. Right. Yeah, it is very difficult to find the director's cut. So we went ahead and went on with the theatrical cut. I'm kind of happy we did because it had been a very long time since I'd seen this film. And yet, almost every scene goes on twice as long as it should be. 
Like the scene where they run into the trouble with the warp drive and everything just goes like blurry for a bit. That scene is like 10 minutes long. Why did it have to be 10 minutes long? Like in the show, they just like toss them around the bridge for a bit and then the technical trouble's over. Right. And it's warp speed. It's supposed to be fast. Why is it slower? Why does this scene go so slowly? <laughs> it takes forever. But I do want to talk because that's that's one of the cons of the film. However, I did one enjoy of the cons one of the, the cons. One of the cons. Sorry, of the let me film. start over. Cons. That's one of the negative aspects of the film. Let's talk a little bit about the stuff that perhaps they did a little bit better, which I think is character work. So we haven't seen these characters for a while. It's implied that they finished their five-year mission that they talk about in the original series, and then they go their separate ways. Kirk is promoted to admiral. <laughs> what? How can we keep him out of trouble? Let's promote him. It really, truly is both the American way <laughs> and the Federation way. And the Federation way. So this is actually going to be a thread that continues throughout most of the film series. So I'm curious to know what you think about Kirk's character development over the course of these films, because they are trying to say something very specific about someone who's successful at a certain level of an organization because of his success gets promoted and instantly finds himself extremely unhappy with the new position that he is given because the implication is as an admiral, he no longer gets to command a starship. He no longer gets to go out there and explore things and have wacky adventures and sleep with alien life forms, et cetera, et cetera. So part of the plot of this film is that he uses this opportunity. He capitalizes on this state of emergency that the Federation finds itself in to retake command of the Enterprise and oust the current captain, William Decker, who, let's be honest, William Decker just seems kind of basic to me. But what did you think about the Kirk storyline and William Decker, this new character that we're given, who's supposed to evoke Kirk, but can you evoke Kirk? Sorry, when you say Decker, all I hear is Deckard. Uh, yeah. So, And now we're back to Han Solo. Hey, look at that. Perfect circle. So as you know, I am an administrator, something I never, ever, ever, ever wanted to be. And it's not fun because you can't just go out and do the thing that you've trained to do. You have to like do the paperwork and follow the rules. And well, it's really just those two things, but I hate both of those things. I'm no Kirk, but I also don't like having to follow rules. And I know Kirk doesn't either. So unlike the whole thing about being promoted because you're incompetent, he did get promoted I think, to, you know, so he could stay out of trouble. But at the same time, he is not very good at staying out of trouble. That is probably his weakest skill set. <laughs> so first chance he gets, he demotes himself, commandeers a ship, reassigns the, the captain of the ship to multiple jobs, demotes him, then unassigns him from those jobs as the people he likes show up. 
Did I get all that right? Yeah, is that, that, all that the is things basically what happens. Yes. Yeah. That is the plot of the first part of this oh, movie. Oh, I'd love to do that. That that sounds great. That sounds like the best way to be in charge. Yeah, and there's no he doesn't seem to be answering to anyone. No. Like he's Oh, just... like he ever answered to anybody. <laughs> the only person he answered to, as you know, is Bones and Spock. It's true. It's true. And neither one of them are here right now. Yeah, they are not with him at the beginning of this movie. It seems that our triad has gone its separate ways. Oh, we're calling it a triad now. Thruple, triad, whatever Stop you want Stop trying to, to make thruples happen. Oh, my God. So Kirk decides that he's, he's going to leave, right? And so he has to reunite the Dream Team. Most of the Dream Team is already still on the Enterprise. So Scotty is the one who brings him up to the Enterprise via shuttle He's the one who's been overseeing this redesign of the Enterprise, this overhaul of the ship. First, what do you think about Scotty in this film? Second, what do you think about the upgrades that the Enterprise has gotten? Scotty's great. I don't care about the upgrades. What I do know is that they had to upgrade the ship because once again, we're not spending $15 on sets and models. We're actually going to spend movie money on this. So I like that the... The best plot explainer for that is uh, upgrades to the ship. I mean, the only thing I'll say on this is that the ship design looks a little bit more like the Enterprise that we see in The Next Generation. We get the freestanding warp core. We actually get to see the warp core, which we don't get to see in the original series. We get to see some of the hallways and elevators look a little bit more similar to the way that they're going to look in future series. That's about it. Yeah, this is a soft reboot Mm -hmm. of the entire thing. And as not good as this movie is, it is very, very good in that. You pointed out to me that the theme used in the movie is the next generation theme you pointed out i noticed that the size and scale of the ship on the inside matched you know like we've watched the orville and i know that it's like a functioning mini society and i got you got no clue of that on the original enterprise so this is good it's good that they did a soft reset too you know this is something star wars never did And it suffered for it. You know, there was never a time where Star Wars course corrected. It was always, let's just steer into the skid, off the cliff, into the ocean, with the teddy bear and the sentient Haley Joel Osment, right? Hey, bring it all the way back around. Yeah, that's what I do. So, good for Star Trek. Bad for studios not letting acclaimed film directors have the final cut of their own film. Fools. You learned nothing. (laughs) How do you feel about Scotty? Basically, if Kirk has been promoted out of the place that he wants to be, Scotty seems to have found a way to like cling to chief engineer status of the Enterprise. They're going to have to pry that ship out of his cold, dead hands. They tried to promote him. They tried to promote him. You think so? Yes, they did. Did he get into another fight on shore leave? Uh, No, no. But he said, make me. And when they came to make them, the various wrenches got thrown at their heads. This is... Right, yeah. Yeah. They can't take that away from him. No. So we also get to see, in very small roles, but we still get to see them, Chekhov, Sulu, and Uhura. So the original gang. Haircut, got a haircut. Chekhov, Chekhov. you mean? Yeah, in 10 years, he got a haircut. He got a haircut, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Walter Koenig was a little disappointed by the 
how small his role was in this. I think he and Takei and Nichelle Nichols all kind of wanted their roles to be expanded a bit, but instead a lot of the screen time got given to these new characters. How do you feel about the way that they are presented in this film? So on the original series, it feels like you have the main lead, the two co-leads, and then you have a bunch of characters who aren't leads, but they're supporting characters. I think that to me, Scotty is the top of that list of supporting characters, followed by Uhura, followed by Sulu. And then below that is Chekhov. So like that that's to me what it felt like from the original series. And you didn't see everybody on every episode, of course, right? But kind of knowing the pecking order here, I don't like that these two new characters jumped over. Like, I don't really care about Chekhov. I, 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 eh, you know, Anton Yelchin is cool, but that's a completely different franchise of Star Trek. I just don't care about Chekhov. Let me say that one more time. So I've said it three times. I don't really care that much about Chekhov. <laughs> I, I, I think Scotty got about the same, about the amount of screen time I would have expected. I thought it was odd that Uhura didn't get more screen time. I guess they thought Bald Cap was going to be the the bringing the sex appeal to the movie, I guess, which was a huge miscalculation if that's what they were trying to do. But honestly, I'm I'm genuinely surprised for that very misogynistic reason. Yeah, it is kind of odd. The other two major female characters of the franchise, who, again, were not very important. You didn't see them in a lot of episodes, but they were still named characters that most people recognize are, of course, Janice Rand and Nurse Chapel. Nurse Chapel is now a doctor. We do get to see her in one scene, and McCoy does reference the fact that she has now become a medical doctor. And we the also- The rule-following doctor. The rule-following doctor. And we do actually surprisingly get to see Janice Rand, who we hadn't seen since the first season of the show. But she is a transporter technician now, and she is involved in that terrible, horrific accident that happens in the first act where people are, like, mangled in the transporter. (laughs) That's such a weird thing. It's so bizarre that that happens. This franchise is not equipped to deal with horribly maimed and disfigured people. Yeah. It's not not equipped to deal with the ramifications of this. It's like, hey, so we broke the the transporter so you could have a chance to have that 27,000 minute scene. And I guess to justify that, we're going to kill two people. But actually, let's not kill them. Let's just destroy them without killing them and do nothing with that. And then to, and then Kirk gets to be like, it's not your fault, Lieutenant Rand. Notify their families our condolences. Just, like, what is happening? <laughs> it's such a strange scene. So getting back to the, the people that I know you care about. Kirk immediately calls for McCoy, who after this horrible accident justifiably is a little leery of getting into the transporter, but Kirk talks him into doing so. He shows up in a full beard and space hippie 
costume. They don't actually say what he's been doing since he retired from Starfleet, only that he wouldn't have come back to Starfleet for anyone but Kirk. What do you think, McCoy? I'll tell you what he was doing. What was he doing? He was being too old for this That's what he was doing. That's what he was doing. That is the sum total of what he was doing. What did you think about his uh, appearance at the beginning when he comes up through the transporter? I mean, I get it. And yells at Kirk. I get it. Makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. The the flared pants and the the beard, which he shaves off almost immediately. Gets back into regulation. I mean, uh, you know, we're going to talk about Spock here in a minute. Literally everybody who's not a part of this mission, who comes back to be a part of the mission, dresses better than they do once they put these stupid uniforms on. Let's talk about the uniforms, Ugh, though. Could we not? What did you think about the white, beige, <laughs> and brown uniforms that change throughout Sh- the, okay. sh- the movie? They change yes, throughout the movie. And every time it's worse. <laughs> okay, first of all, bro, bro. Bro, put your, nobody wants to see that. Put, like, like put the the tunic part that hangs over. You, you, we don't want to see, the, oh, that's, I don't want to see that. Not interested. That has to be a violation of uniform code. And if it doesn't, this isn't a utopian society. Second, <laughs> short sleeve white tunic. It looks good on George Decay. That's not the point. <laughs> Is this... The Enterprise or the love boat? <laughs> I mean, it, every time they change, it gets worse, too. It does. They're bad colors. They don't really look good on anybody, the colors. It, there is kind of a weird callback to the blue uniforms with the braid because Spock wears one for a brief yeah. period of time because it has the gold braids on them. And then I love how, like, one of the uniforms will change on the on the bridge and then They'll unli- the, all the other ones will start changing. It, it's almost like Kirk sees someone change their uniform and they go, that'll look good on me, and then mm. like starts copying them. You know, I seem to remember spending several minutes talking about the campiness and, and queerness of um, a certain costume in the original series. I, I really think that somebody said, we're not doing that. Bring back the sparkles. I think they deliberately went in like the opposite direction. I think somebody somewhere gave a note to take all the camp out of it. You would be correct, actually. The costume designer didn't like the colorfulness of the the uniforms in the original series and didn't think it matched the new interior yeah. and aesthetic of the, of the franchise. Fool. You know who else hated the uniforms, though, and was very vocal? Literally anyone with a soul. Nichelle Nichols. There you go. Very much hated them. She actually said they weren't Uhura. Well, they weren't. They weren't. I did appreciate that she still had her hoops. I wonder if Nichelle Nichols had to fight to keep those hoops. Yeah. I do. We also get a whole new Klingon look at the beginning of the the movie. So 10 years afterwards. Goodbye, Orientalism. Hello, this. (laughs) Hello, prosthetics. Yeah, so we briefly get to see the Klingons at the beginning. They're the first three Klingon... Klingons. (laughs) They got a new costume and a new pronunciation. Good for them. Three Klingon birds of prey are the first casualties in the weird space cloud invasion of the galaxy. Weird space cloud invasion. Fighters. (laughs) What did you think of the new Klingon look? I mean, 
this is the Klingon look. I mean, that's the other thing. Like, I, I know what this is. Like, I oh, look, it's Klingons. Good for them. And they speak Klingon, which is yeah. an actual language. Yeah, this, yeah, because that's fun. All right, we have to get to the third of our triad, who we see at the beginning of the film trying to complete the Vulcan rite of Kolinar. He is on Vulcan, trying to purge all emotion. He's worked very hard to get here, and they basically say, you're not ready. You still feel things. This cloud, this entity calls to you. Yes, feelings for Kirk. And so he shows up <laughs> uh, like a sh- in a shuttle, like Deus Ex Spock, Actually, isn't that one, two, and three? Yeah, and then later, and then, and then Leonard Nimoy directs four and five. So I mean, like this really is Deus Ex Spock. Actually, Leonard Nimoy directs three and four. Shatner directs five and doesn't know how to direct a movie. So we're going to (laughs) talk about that later. Anyway, he shows up and he is very passive aggressive in his treatment of Kirk and the rest of the crew who are genuinely delighted to see him. Like all of the smiles on all of the faces, including McCoy's, who he has bickered with for all of these years. And he is such a jerk to them. And it's hard not to see the ways in which he blames them for his inability to completely purge his human side. What did you think about Spock's thread in this film? I still don't. You know, I still don't understand all this stuff. It's like, Bro's half human. It's not going to happen. Like, this whole, like, purging human emotions. Well, I hate to tell you, dude, but you're half that. Half. Give you 10%, maybe. But not half. You're never going to, It's you're a fool. I mean, Vulcans also have powerful emotions. It's not like they're born emotionless. I, I, I'm just saying that, okay, if we're actually going to tell a story here, like invent a narrative about what happened. So, you know, after Kirk got promoted and the band broke up, right? I mean, basically everybody had to go their separate ways. I mean, people stayed on the ship, I suppose. But everybody who left went their separate ways. And Spock just didn't know what to do with himself. So he was like, path of least resistance. I'll be a Vulcan. I mean, that's the only thing that makes sense. Like, if you sit here, I mean, big brain Spock actually sat and thought this through. He'd realize it's not possible. What do you think about the way that he seems to blame Kirk and the crew for his inability to achieve this perfect state of logic? I feel like this is a much more healthier way of getting angry than he did in the original series. Remember when he just got irrationally angry? (laughs) He went from like zero to like, a thousand instantly. This is better. This <laughs> I mean, is, he doesn't hurt anybody. He doesn't attack anyone. Yeah, so it's fine. So he thinks that this cloud yep. is an, a machine entity, which it turns out to be, and that he can learn, he can maybe learn, get find his answer for in this. He's very vague about what exactly he expects to find. But it turns out that this machine cloud, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, is doesn't understand emotions, is completely logical, doesn't understand organic life forms at all. In fact, that's why it's been purging them, right? Because it just thinks that they're extraneous to real life, which is machines or or synthetic matter. And Spock realizes through a direct mind meld encounter with this being, Veger, as it's called. Veger. Veger. Veger, as it's called, that... That's not what he wants. 
right? He doesn't want to live in that existence. So we get this very tender, emotional scene between him and Kirk where he says, "It V'ger will never understand this feeling as he's holding Kirk's hand. What do you think about the way in which that scene has been read in which they will never understand this feeling between us? Look, look, uh... I was not alive, but from what I understand... Being gay in the 70s, there wasn't a lot of text. You had to rely on your subtext. I don't know. I guess that's the problem with this film, and maybe it'll be sorted out a little bit in the director's cut. I'm struggling to come up with anything to say about it because I don't think it did anything for me. If I don't have the same level of emotional investment that, say, you or any other big-time Trek fan has, this doesn't really do anything for me. It's very cold and philosophical and, frankly, Kubrickian. I don't care. So you weren't affected at all by the reunification of the gang? No, that was fine. But, like, as you're describing, everything that happens after that, like, reading the thing about V'ger and reading that as some sort of... Yeah, it was nothing. This movie could have been over when they got back together. Fair enough. It would have been fine. Fair enough. So actually, Spock was not in the original screenplay for this film because Nimoy Nimoy had said when TOS had finished that he he wasn't interested in reprising this role. But Wise, after reading the script and talking about it with his children, both of whom were huge Trek fans, his children told him, you cannot make these without Spock. Spock. It is not worth making a Star Trek film without Spock. Well, it isn't. And so he went to Leonard Nimoy, who actually at this point had sort of come all the way back around on the character and said, okay, like I am actually interested in, in reprising this character and in, in doing this again. I mean, you really can't. I mean, when J.J. Abrams tried to make, you know, his film, of course he had new Spock, but he had old Spock, too. Yeah, Leonard Nimoy, for a lot of people, right. is not only Spock, but is the heart of yeah, and this Zachary, franchise. Yeah, and Zachary Quinto is somebody who notably looks like Leonard Nimoy. Mm-hmm. I think the Discovery dude kind of looks like him, right? Right. Yeah. 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 And uh, the new guy in I don't know. Strange New Worlds, he's, sure. he's Gregory Peck's grandson or something like that he also kind of looks like him we'll talk about that as we as we go along all right finally we get two new characters 18 of sam watches star trek we get two new characters season 32 yeah right (laughs) we get two new characters we get stephen collins as willie willard decker who is this Kirk wannabe who gets demoted, as you pointed out, and has to like fill all these roles. I love how delighted he is when Spock shows up and is like, Spock's just like, I volunteer to be your science officer. And Willard Deckard's like, okay. Peace. And we also get Persis Kambata as Ilya, the Delta navigator of the Enterprise. If you were trying to create emotional stakes by building a character, two characters, So that I had some sort of reaction to when they have to merge and basically die at the end of the movie. You failed. None. I feel nothing. Oh, they took her and she died. Okay, great. You weren't even sure what had happened at first. Yeah, I don't care. Like when they first took her, you were like, wait, who got what? 
Like let, you were... let, let me count heads here. All the important people are here. <laughs> well, I don't care what happened then. So actually also, uh, Kambata had to shave her head for the role. That is not a bald cap that she's wearing. She actually had to shave her head. She was worried about her hair growing back, right? Because we didn't know very much about that at the time. Yeah, and Hatman Gene didn't shave his head. Gene Roddenberry looked into insuring her hair in case it didn't grow back correctly. The insurance company was like, we can't insure someone's head of hair. There's no way to be able to measure whether it comes back in the same way as it went out. This was a whole thing. This is how Gene Roddenberry did business. Let's talk about the actual plot insofar as there is a plot. To me, this feels like an episode of the original series stretched into a feature-length film time slot. We get Yeah, bad pacing and all. We get a mysterious creature, this cloud. We find out that it's a machine, that it doesn't understand organic life or emotions. It takes Ilya and kill, basically absorbs her, kills her, uploads its da- her data into itself, creates a robot version of her. They find out after a long period of talking that this is actually the Voyager space probe, which got lost and was picked up by a machine planet that gave it all these where did, cool Where did upgrades. it get lost? In space. Okay. Got lost in space, and it got picked up by a mechanical world that basically was like, oh, you're a machine. We're going to give you all these upgrades. And so it comes home to Earth to try to figure out its purpose, right? Spock says that it's a child trying to figure out. We've seen this plot before, right? We've this is, seen it a couple of times. This is something that, that this is a storyline that Star Trek will come back to over and over again. Were you surprised by the reveal that it was the Voyager space probe? Okay, so you know me. You can't sure. be surprised when you don't care. Actually, I re- do remember how I felt. When I realized it was a take-me-to-your-leader situation, I was like, oh, you're kidding. And he doesn't understand because these humans can't possibly be the leaders, which, fair. <laughs> fair, I get it. That's fine. Like, oh, this is a huge misunderstanding. The Voyager space probe wants to go home and, and, okay, fine. Did you like how Kirk basically (laughs) held it, held the information it wanted hostage in like a magnificent example of Kirk bluffing his way out of a problem where he was like, don't destroy Earth. I have the answer that you want, but I won't tell you unless you immediately back down. And then the machine calls his bluff and he's like, well, uh, I don't know what the answer should be. What should the answer be, guys? And they like huddle, trying to figure it out. You're making this, I'm just imagining a monkeys episode now. And, and this would be much better. If it was a monkeys yeah, episode? Yeah, I think so. What a bold move to reboot the franchise with this. <laughs> and remember the marketing campaign? Like, Humanity begins now. That's at the end of the film too, where they're well, like, "We watch the trailer." Right, but that yeah. actual that actual lettering is at the end of the film, where it's like, "Humanity's gross. future is just beginning." Gross. It is supposed to be very 2001 Space it's Odyssey gross. because, yeah, which then, also ended poorly. So I guess that's fine. Right. So Decker volunteers to merge with this entity to create a new life form. So basically, the Star Trek crew helped birth in a new baby life form. 
he does this because he's in love with Ilya and he wants to be with her, be part of her, whatever. So it's like the three of them merge into a life form. My question is, he chose to do that. Voyager chose to do that. Nothing about her participation in this was consensual. Is that a question? Yes. Why? It's obvious. How did that make you feel? I know you don't care about the character, but what do you think about this? Like, It does feel kind of unfair. And I mean, the thing about it is, is like you bring in two newcomers and you want me to care about them. This isn't a horror movie. You're not pulling a psycho on me. It's like, ha ha, established character. Oh, oh, look, she's gone. That's not, I don't know who this is. I don't know who this actor is. I don't care about this character. I'm here for these guys. As you said, I didn't need, I was like, wait, who, what happened? Who's got all Baldi's missing? I, I thought for a second you were going to say, I care about these guys and their hijinks. <laughs> there were no hijinks in this movie. This movie definitely suffers from a lack of hijinks. Yes, they were very serious. They were making a serious film. <laughs> a serious film about Star Trek. And that is two things that should never go together. Never. Never. All right. Any final thoughts on this film? I mean... No. <laughs> Is that a question? <laughs> I <laughs> I do distinctly remember you saying, I hope the extra 10 minutes in the director's <laughs> cuts are all musical numbers. <laughs> I said that? Yes. Oh, that was a good one. Because of West Side Story. Because oh, of that's Weiss's... right. West Side Story, Sound of Music. Right. Yeah. Kirk, a few of my favorite things. They start snapping at each other. No, oh, that'd be great. See, I'd watch that movie. Yeah. What? What's uh, Spock's? Musical number. Mm, no, uh, no. Favorite things really is his musical number. I think so. And 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 Kirk does the 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 cop thing from West Side Story when he's like taking the ship back. Over. Like, there's actually a, a scene where he argues with Starfleet and he breaks into that song there. Officer Krupke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I'm I'm really not terribly familiar with either of these musicals, so I'm really <laughs> stretching here. The name song. Yeah. That's that we do that when we get on the ship the first time. Yeah, we could do this. Yeah. Star Trek yeah. the musical. They've I never like done it. a Star Trek the musical. I mean, that seems wrong. It does seem wrong. It you would think after wrong. what, 32, 33 seasons, they would have done one musical? Yeah. Yeah. We've had people yeah. sing. I don't want to like mislead you, but yeah. not in like, like a musical. Yeah, we did. Not in a musical <laughs> context. Next up on Sam Watches Star Trek. Gene Roddenberry is out. They booted him as creative control over the next film. Yes. Ricardo Montalban is back in. He returns as Khan in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. You can find me on Twitter, at Suelatessa. (laughs) Anticlimactic, I know, but where was I supposed to go from there? It's kind of like this movie. You can find me on Twitter at Suela Tessa. Suela is spelled S-W-E-H-L-A. And you can find Sam at Sam underscore Morris 9. Until next time, live long and prosper.